listening to All Marine Radio, broadcasting from Costa Mesa, California, on the All Warrior Radio Network. of All Marine Radio. Gotta tell you, man, I'm in South Carolina. It was like 45 degrees yesterday here in Buford. Like, what in the hell is that? Who thinks that's a good idea? I don't. And for some reason, the room I have, which is really nice, yeah, second marine air wing. I'm a fan for a lot of reasons. I mean, they did some great work for RCT-1 in 2010-11 in the Helmand province of Afghanistan. Yeah, that's where I learned to love them, man. Straight up. Awesome. The best. Yeah, the blue for us. Second marine air wing. And, uh, yeah, but it's cold in here, man. I've got two hooded sweatshirts on, long sleeve t shirt, pair of sweats. And I'm just comfortable. So, but, like, who gives a shit about me bitching, right? I know, I know, I know, I can hear what you're saying. But, uh, had a great weekend. Uh, drove from. Jacksonville, actually, Havelock, if you know your North Carolina geography, drove from Cherry Point, which is Havelock, North North Carolina, and I stopped and saw a friend, Boomer Milstead. So, Boomer's been on the show before, but he and I meet. Um, he's working in the leadership department at the basic school. Um, and, uh, and I'm in tactics. And so he would 
we meet, right? And he's a fun guy and a funny guy, so we kind of gravitate to each other. And um, so when his, uh, he becomes a company commander at the basic school, Echo Company, uh, which he called Elvis Company. <laughs> exactly. He wasn't having Echo, man. Um, but he, he, and he was, an, he's an Anglico guy, right? So he's not just a Cobra, Boomer's a Cobra pilot, right? Uh, he ends his career, you know, head of MNRA, head of, head of Marine Corps Recruiting Command, has a three-star, so he has a pretty good run there. Uh, I think he might command the 2nd Marine Air Wing in Iraq at some point. Um, so anyway, um, he's an Anglico guy, so he thinks he can navigate. And let me tell you, uh, one of the, the great skills that you'd leave Quantico with if you navigate there is you can navigate anywhere in the world, man. All those little fingers and draws and all <laughs> all that stuff. Um, yeah, you either you learn to navigate or you wind up missing dinner a bunch. You wind up being late. It's not a good, it's not a quality experience if you can't navigate. And, and I like to navigate. I mean, I still do, right? Um, I love maps. I love to navigate. And uh, so Boomer would go out on, on whether we'd be patrolling or, you know, we'd be doing squad in the attack or whatever the hell we'd be doing. And he'd, he'd navigate with me, right? So but we'd just have a good time. And, uh, and you know, we'd be teaching tactics along the way, but, you know, we'd be entertaining ourselves as well. And, again, it was in that period of time at the basic school back then, like Jeff Kenny was there, you know, Will, Tim. Dave Furness, Paul Kennedy. I mean, all these guys who you hear us talking about. I mean, and we just, we loved doing what we did and, uh, and we had a great time. So, um, so anyway, he lives in Wilmington. And so I shot him a text. I said, Hey man, I'm going to be coming through. You care if I stop by? And so, um, so I stopped by at his house and, and, uh, you know, just having a great time with a good fa- friend that we haven't seen. So I said, well, let's call Furness. And and so I called Dave Furness twice. He doesn't answer. And I'm like, I'm like, and then, and then Boomer had brought up General Neller's name. And I said, well, let's call Neller. This will be the loyalty test for him. We'll see if he picks up. One and a half rings in. Hello? And then Boomer hops on. Sir, Boomer Milstead. And then they start laughing and talking. And, um, so we talked to him and, uh, and then I had shot Will a text message. Somebody who had come to see post-traumatic winning on Friday in Cherry Point, you know, uh, told me, Hey, make sure you tell Will that I said, Hey. And so Will was just kind of returning, uh, a text with a phone call. So we're sitting there, but. Will is working for General Dunford when he's the ACMAC, when Boomer is either recruiting command or manpower. So they know they know each other. And again, they know each other from the basic school. So I put Will on speaker and then we're and we're so we're shit talking and laughing. And uh, it's just funny. Right. And so then. I'm hanging out with Boomer and he's trying to feed me and all that stuff. And then, uh, and then General Furness called. So I put him on speaker. And, uh, and so General Furness was, again, 
you know, he shows up to base school as first lieutenant, becomes a captain pretty quick. And so he knows uh, Boomer from there and then, you know, career's path as life goes. And then when General Furness is the head of uh, the Marine Corps' uh, Office of Legislative, Affair, Legis- Legislative Affairs, he, um, which is, which looks a lot like lobbying, but it's not because Marine Corps is prohibited from lobbying, right? Okay, just so you know, that's what it is. Anyway, um, so he's there as a one star when Boomer's, you know, doing his M, uh, manpower and, and, uh, and recruiting command stuff. So, I mean, so we all know each other for a long time. And so I put him on speaker and, Again, just laughing and and they it's interesting parallels in each phone call. They all try to turn on me exactly. And as I did when we were much junior, I'm having none of that shit, right? Absolutely, positively none of it, whether it's from the former commandant or anybody else i'm having none of it but just a great time and then got down here uh yesterday and then today went over and did audio visual video checks um at where i'll be doing post-traumatic winning here on monday and tuesday and then went to walmart here in buford yep and yeah i needed to get a pair of sweatpants man i was freezing so I did that. And uh, and then, you know, one of the things I've kind of learned that I do when I'm doing post-traumatic winning is um, is I try to sleep, take naps and stuff on the weekends and relax and not do too much. I don't even like going out for dinner. Yeah. So I think I bought, I don't know what I bought, some shit spaghetti. Uh, yeah, it might be Lean's, Lean Cuisine spaghetti because it looked like and all the frozen food stuff. Yeah, once I get in my room, and I'm not even watching TV because there's nothing on, right? There's no football on. I guess the Pro Bowl was on. But, I mean, come on, that's a joke. And uh, I guess the Olympics are on, but I'm not that into watching the Olympics right now. So TV hasn't even been on today. I've done a little reading, worked on post-traumatic winning a little bit. And um, the other big news for the McNamara family is a uh, huge congratulations to my daughter-in-law, Susie, and my son, John, who welcomed their second son uh, onto the planet. So, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, you know, you, uh, you look at a picture of your son with his second kid, and you just shake your head, right? Dude couldn't bring his bike in from the rain. Like, what the hell, man? And, uh, but everybody doing good, and he's a beautiful little boy, and, and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, you remember when you did that, and it's interesting, John, um, he and Susie, um, our first grandson, was born, um, in 29 Palms. Same hospital where my daughter Catherine was born. Maybe the same room. I know it was the same floor, but maybe the same room because the hospital just opened when we had Catherine. And then number two comes here in uh, Quantico. And that's where we had Patrick. We had Patrick at Bethesda, though. 
and uh, the latest edition was born um, at Port Belvoir. I can't remember why Susan didn't, um, we didn't have Patrick at Fort Belvoir. And uh, I've told the story before, but, um, you know, Quantico to, to to Bethesda, Bethesda what, on the north, uh, on the north side of D.C. So you got to, south, you go up 95 and then gonna get on the 495. Well, depending on the time of day, you're not going anywhere. So, Patrick's born on November 10th. Yeah, Marine Corps birthday. How crazy is that? Anyway, um, but the significance of that is that it was a Friday, and it was the three-day holiday for federal workers. And I want to say we were headed to the hospital, you know, like 6.37 in the morning. (laughs) Patrick would have been born on the freeway. Yeah, no kidding. Um. But I, I can't remember why we were going to Bethesda, if that was our choice or whatnot. But uh, so, uh, yeah, so odd, you know, weird that um, our grandkids are being born in the same places that our kids were born. So kind of kind of ironic, kind of funny. But, um, you know, as a, as a dad, you know, you look at your son and uh, and. Uh, you know, you see him holding his second kid and just like, whoa, got to be kidding me, man. How cool is life? And uh, and then the other thing I have to say is is uh, number two son who lives on the north side of D.C., up near Bethesda, you know, he gets his ass down to take care of number one grandson. So you look at those two idiots and you're like, who would have thought? <laughs> that you two bozos, right, would turn out to be these kind of people. Uh, so, yeah, pretty cool weekend for my family. And, uh, and you know, when you see, uh, you know, beautiful pictures of a grandson and, and uh, I don't know, I think some of the prettiest pictures you ever see of, of a woman and, and her son or daughter are right after they're born, right? I don't know. There's just like this glow about the picture. Um, and, uh, so you get to see your kids experience in that. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know if life gets a whole lot better than that. Uh, your life's work and to see them, um, you know, doing good things and, and being good parents and, and then enjoying the greatest experiences that you can have on the planet, which in my opinion, one of them is certainly being a parent and, uh, and all the, and all that goes with that. And so, yeah, so that was, uh, Saturday night and, uh, here into Sunday. And so, so yeah, big weekend, big weekend. And, uh, sitting around staring at the phone, waiting for my son to, uh, (laughs) to, to update information Come on, dude. Like, what are you doing? Come on. Tell us something. Um, But anyway. um, So, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Um, Post-traumatic winning going on today as you listen to this um, here at Marine Corps Air Station Buford. And uh, get a chance to, uh, to hang out with one of the sergeant majors down here. 
guy named Todd Caldwell, and I uh, got a chance to meet him through Sergeant Major Rife, Sergeant Major 2nd Marine Air Wing, and Todd's just an awesome dude, so I look forward to coming here every time I do, and uh, get a chance to say hi to him and hang out with him, and, uh, and uh, the Sergeant Majors of 2nd Marine Air Wing, man, have really are huge uh, fans of this, of post-traumatic winning. They are my great advocates, along with the CG. And uh, But when you see them get up and, 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 and talk about their own lives in front of Marines, and you see the look that Marines get on their faces, and, uh, you know, you see their, 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 why they wear the rank they do. And again, uh, not everybody does that. Not everybody does that. Not everybody's you know, a strong enough human being to stand up in front of everybody and say, hey, let me tell you about me. But we did a leadership thing on Friday afternoon up at Cherry Point. And, man, I'm going to tell you, it was it was awesome. We did it with sergeants and corporals about what it is to lead in this, in, in this area of mental fitness, trying to get them to understand that nobody's trying to get you to be a therapist, right? We have people that fulfill that function. But if you understand that the vast majority of, of of people don't have serious mental illnesses, they have gotten their ass kicked by life. Um, we recruit um, from some pretty rough areas um, in our communities, and and by rough, I don't I don't I don't just mean economically. I mean. You know, a lot of people that are looking to get the hell out of town at the age of 18 and they're looking to the military, you know, don't have the greatest home lives, right? Uh, They have adverse childhood experiences, plural. And so then life gets difficult. And so, you know, what what I would tell you the vast majority of them need is is what I experienced from uh, my company, Gunny, Lance Y., and that is just a hand on your shoulder, looking you in the face and telling you the truth, telling you a little bit about them, looking at you and say, you can do this. I will help you. Let's go. And um, and so, and then just to have a conversation about that. But, you know, it's it's so powerful when, you know, it starts with the sergeant major standing up and, and saying, let me tell you about me. And you're watching them and you know, I've heard these stories before, and they look at them and they, they tell them about the way they grew up. And you see these jaws just drop open like, what the hell? Because, again, people senior to me, they don't have my problems. They could never understand me. Yeah, well, that ain't true. That ain't true. They have every one that you have, probably more. They're just really good at faking it. And so, um, and so then the conversation goes. And to get them to understand that, you know, you, you know, for you, now that you've gone through this, you know, this period of instruction called post-traumatic winning, you understand that there's a, there's a, a couple of blueprints that you own now. One is the landscape of the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Okay. Uh, what happens when trauma explodes into your life? Trauma has a pattern. Trauma accumulates. And there is this path. And the bedrock of this path is truth. And it's legitimate. You can do it. And uh, and that's one blueprint. The second blueprint is the personal infrastructure that you have to create inside yourself. Because if you understand that 
this traumatic damage lasts forever, then the remedy has to be forever. Okay, so this blueprint says, okay, here's what you have to build. And it starts at the foundational stuff, right? You're never going to get over us, or, the, or the, actually the fundamental truths. And that is, you know, you're never going to get over it. It's a normal part of life. You aren't unique because traumatic things happen to you, right? It doesn't matter, you know, what genre of trauma you get from combat to sexual violence. The way it impacts us is identical. And that feeling damaged from that is normal. Once you understand the landscape, the, the fundamental truths, then, you know, we talk about the foundation. The foundation is you've got to wake up in the morning and you've got to be sober and you've got to be financially fit. If you're, if you're neither one of those, you can't build anything on that. And you've got to get there, period. If you can't be there, then it's like being out on the ocean in heavy seas. And there's not a whole lot you can do with that. If you're if you're drunk, and if you're not in control of your life financially, I mean that might be the definition of shit show. I mean I'm sure there's other mitigating factors, but I would tell you in terms of foundation, if you can't if you don't have that right, you can't you can't be in control of your life. And then on top of that, they learn you know all these different things that they could do for themselves personally from. From having a daily basic routine to meditation to learning how to take a breath to control anxiety and uh, and anger, uh, that physical fitness, half for your body, half for your brain. I don't fake it anymore because I don't fake it. I have conversations I need to have, not with just anybody, but with the people closest to you, right? And then I, I journal. I learn how to write a little bit that empty my thoughts, but more importantly, Here's what I did good today. Here's what I did bad today. And here's how I can improve as a human being. And so, you know, success success in any field is not, if it happens haphazardly, then, then you it won't sustain it. But most of the time people become successful because of the hard work that they put in. And so, so that's what the discussion is about. You know, now that you know this stuff, Right. And you think about this, though. Do you think you could stick your hand out and help somebody? And what's interesting in the discussions is that everybody's very hesitant about it. Well, you know, you know, I'm not sure. and I'd have to study it more. And I say, fuck that, man. Can you remember these things? You're never going get, to get over it. Yeah. Can you remember it's normal? Yeah. Can you remember not to fake it? Yeah. You got to talk about it? Yeah. Can you remember if you struggle with it, you got to stop drinking? Well, yeah, I can remember that stuff. Okay, start there. Do you remember what it was like when you were down, you didn't know any of this, and you're down at the bottom of the valley by the river or the valley of the shadow of death? You're deep in there, and it's hopeless and dark? Yeah. Okay. That's where they are. So maybe you're only halfway out of the valley. Can you stick your hand out and help them? Well, yeah, I could do that. That's hey, that's all anybody's asking. Okay. And if you get stuck, call me. Right? I know people here that can help you and will help you. And so I mean it's so and then when it's led by staff and COs, sergeant majors and, and other staff and COs that get up and speak, it's I mean it's really impressive, powerful stuff. Right? It's really impressive, powerful stuff. So 
Anyway, uh, Grant Nushin going to join me today. Grant's written a, an article about will Taiwan invade China uh, in the year 2022. So we will talk about that. We'll begin the discussion, though, with uh, his thoughts on uh, on two subjects. Uh, one is obviously uh, Russia v. Ukraine. So we'll talk about the latest developments in that. And we'll also talk about um, the Winter Olympics in Beijing. So they click off, uh, They kick off. Vladimir Putin attended. How about that? We'll ask him about Oddly fell asleep when the Ukrainian Ukrainian athletes uh, rolled in. Hmm. So, um, hope your Monday's going so far, going well so far. Joining me now, without further ado, is the one and only Grant Newsham. As I just mentioned, joining me is the renowned expert in... Uh, the affairs of the Pacific Rim, often seen in the Wall Street Journal and other prominent publications, Grant Newsham. Grant, how are you? <laughs> Fine, thanks. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, when I hear the word experts about uh, Asia Pacific, man, there's got to be at least like a division of them. <laughs> hey. every, one of, every one of them is, you know, the, was like whatever they say is chiseled on into stone on the top of Mount Sinai. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be one of those. Exactly. All you have to do to be an expert is to be called one. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah. I know the low, the bar is low. I know. I know. But why the, why the hell not? Why can't you be an expert? You've been, you say things that are more truthful than most people I've ever heard talk, talk about this stuff. So why not? Why not you? Okay, I will, as long as, since uh, James Lilly is no longer alive, I'll call myself an expert. <laughs> there you go, there you go. You know what, my father, um, a piece of advice he gave me that was pretty good was, you don't have to be great, just be better than the person you're standing next to. Huh. And then he looked okay. at me and he said, so be really careful who you stand next to. Yeah, it, uh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> there's some wisdom in that. Just Didn't so you know. Louis, Louis, I think Louis Puller used to say that, man, there's got always somebody stupider than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so find him out in a crowd. I'm not joking. Find him out in a crowd and stand next to him. You'll make yourself look good. The um, All right, let's talk. Uh, let's uh, First of all, let's uh, talk about. Uh, okay, I think we just renegotiated. Are you there? Okay. Yes, yeah, still here. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our friend uh, Vladimir Putin. Um, anything in the last week um, that has, uh, uh, in the developments, you see American sources saying that um, that the Russian military is about seventy percent complete in their buildup. Um, and they will shortly be able to launch uh, military operations. Uh, so that is uh, just stuff that you see in the news. You also saw kind of a little information operation last week that was kind of interesting. And that was the United States um, releasing a story that said the Russians are planning to film some kind of Ukrainian incursion into Belarus, 
um, or Russia or into the occupied lands of the Ukraine, of Ukraine, and I'm trying not to say the Ukraine, um, because it makes it sound like a territory and it's a sovereign nation. So I'm trying to cure Mm -hmm. myself of that. But anyway, uh, so that was released in a bit of a preemptive information operation strike. Um, and then Vladimir Putin went to uh, Beijing for the opening, or wherever the hell they're opening the, uh, I don't think it's Beijing, but wherever the hell they did that, um, the opening of the Winter Games. Um, not so much news. You haven't seen a whole lot in the news about Germany, NATO, although I believe, what, Jens Stoltenberg announced that he was he would step down? And so, oh, mm-hmm. and so um, anyway... Um, Anything uh, from your reading and observation that caught your attention relative to Russia v. Ukraine? Okay, well, you know, watching the the Ukraine business, you you, know, you pick up little tidbits, you know, as you read and hear more and hear what other people have to say. And one of the the interesting ones, of course, is that you know some people say that the the, the time from which the ground gets hard enough, you know, freezes up to make an attack. Uh, a lot easier is from about February fifteenth. Uh, so it's one little data point, but you know I've heard you know over the the last week or so, you know compelling arguments for why Russia would um, punch in from the east, you know go into the territories they already hold and keep going. And then I've heard you know compelling cases for why they would actually uh, make their move from the south and grab uh, some coastal territory. Uh, and then I've also heard them, you know, a good argument that, well, they would come in from the north, from white Russia, uh, from Belarus, and uh, just push right down to Kiev, the, the capital. And, you know, these are all feasible, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, so I don't know which of these they would do. You know, one, you know, good uh, case is to be made that what Russia really wants uh, is a a compliant regime in in Kiev in you know running U- Ukraine, and thus if they just get to Kiev, install their guy, and you can always find um, Ukrainian rascals who will will do Russia's bidding, uh, that that's what they will do. So there's at least three good options that I've heard of, and which of these they would do, I don't know. But you know the Russians do have a way though, like um, sort of devious people do of. You know, when you're looking a certain direction and expecting a certain thing, you get something completely different. So, you know, I don't know. But other than to stand by, I I think these guys do, uh, or I think um, Putin and his guys, I think they are serious. And part of this, I think, is that they have had time over the last few weeks, few months to really size up the people they're dealing with uh, on the American side. I think they already know what the Europeans are like, um, but the on the American side, I you, know, you just you you watch the um, you know the, the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, the Secretary of State, just watch them in action, watch them as they speak, and it doesn't they, these don't seem like tough guys. Uh, they think seem like guys who would get rattled if Russia really uh, flexes its mus- its muscles on the Ukraine, and. I think that that's part of Putin's thinking as well, is that he's just not up against the same people he was with the last administration. And so that, I think, is in the equation. So I'm 
you know, really expecting the, the Russians to do something uh, in the next uh, few weeks or so. Let me ask you a nuanced question about that. Okay, so um, we sent 150,000 troops or so, maybe 170, drew that down to 135, into Iraq and never really controlled Iraq. All right. Um, he's, uh, you see different numbers. Um, he has to be, given uh, Russia's experience in Afghanistan, he understands that when he launches that, there are going to be forces that he unleashes that he won't control. Um, so do you think the incursion is a limited one? Or as you said, would are you, are you leaning to the fact that he wants regime change, he wants to install the government, and then he will leave. Um, where do you, what is your spidey sense telling you about that kind of nuanced question about how far he goes? Um, because, you know, the, uh, again, I mean, I, I think people think the Ukrainian people are going to fight. They're not going to accept this. They've been living free you know, unencumbered by Russia for 30 years. And so, and that's a variable in all of this, right? Nobody knows how that will turn out. Um, Is your spidey sense telling you anything about those things? Oh, I I think the, you know, the, the, the problems he would have if he were to seize, say, half the country, he's already got a fifth of it. But say he were to seize half of it and try to occupy it, I think that would be problems, as you say, uh, that 130,000 or whatever he could put in there easily, that's not a whole lot in a, in a really big place. Uh, and particularly if there's, you know, people who will fight, you know, they, the Ukrainians, I'm not sure they're quite the same as Chechens uh, or even uh, Afghans or Iraqis. It's, I'm not sure they're quite as uh, ferocious, uh, which is, say, it's part of the equation, but I... You know, but I think that is a good point to, you know, to note is that, uh, you know, occupying the place would be tough. And thus I would, you know, would if I had to put my money on something, I would say uh, an assault on, you know, I say he'd try to grab some coastal terrain down south because that is of some strategic advantage. If you have it, it doesn't require a huge uh, expenditure of manpower or, uh, you know, that much of an occupation, the way trying to to occupy these swaths of uh, Ukrainian territory would be, that would be my guess. You know, it's uh, I'm probably going to be wrong, but that's what I would say is, you know, go after coastal territory in the south um, or a second guess would be uh, some sort of a a coup de main or a quick move on Kiev uh, and you know, just, you know, trump up your excuse or your reasons for doing it. But I think they could probably get into the capital pretty quickly. Uh, but then again, you have the, the problem that, you know, if the Russians actually going into the capital of an independent country, taking it, installing uh, their men, their guys, uh, that would even that might just wake up the Europeans and provoke some sort of a, a response uh, that so that would I don't think it'd be cost-free if he were to go in uh, and grab Kiev. Uh, so I would, my guess, something down towards in the south. Uh, so if I had just had to, yeah, you know, guess. the problem with grabbing Kiev is you have to stay, and even if there's a minority of 
um, Ukrainians that are armed and will fight, that will do the IED thing, that will, you know, shoot Russian soldiers in the head, you know, which is what the treatment that, you know, that that, uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS, you know, served up in Iraq uh, with, I mean, I would think, you know, that, that the Ukraine has a lot of people that are capable of that. They've been fighting the Russians for a long time. And so the the idea of going to Kiev and then, you know, you can install something, but then you have to stay to keep it propped up. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I think that's a, I think that would be most difficult. Um, and that expands this war and keeps them there. And, and so, and he doesn't control those things. He doesn't control the outcome of that. Unless he wants to get more of the Russian military in there, and then, you know, then what happens? So I, I, I think that you're, you know, that the, the, you know, strategic coastal real estate. I think that's, um, and then it makes you know Ukraine a landlocked nation. Yes, uh, comes pretty close to right, it. You know, right. you're sort of tidying up things in the south. You know, when he took Crimea, that uh, was a nice chunk of territory. But if you look at the map, if you grab a little more to the west, it uh, gets even better from that perspective. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, you know, with the they say the option of going after Kiev, is you'll recall that, what, a year and a half ago in Belarus, in White Russia, uh, or whatever, they, whatever, it's, whatever it's called, uh, Belarus, um, that they did have, you know, huge protests all over the country protesting a, a clearly stolen election. And yet the... The, the dictator who runs white uh, Belarus was able to survive it. Uh, he, the security forces, security services never turned on him. So he had the sort of the coercive mechanisms to, to right. do it. And he also waited out the Europeans. He waited out the Americans and none of them really did anything. Right. Uh, and, you know, they complained a lot, but, you know, they got away with it. And, I don't know that if he has, however, if it was Ukraine, I don't know that uh, you know he would have the, say, the security services or that coercive element, the way that the uh, the guy that runs uh, White Russia uh, had. Uh, so that would it's you know it's an interesting thing to consider. Yeah, it's a more it, of, it, it, it's it's got more problematic aspects for him than the other courses of action does. And then if he tries to do more, then he has to somehow or other sustain it or he looks like a failure in front of the world. And I think, you know, this is very much about uh, world perception of Russia and to look weaker is not his his end, end game. It's to look stronger. And so to me, that calculus, I think, lends itself to, I, I think your COA, you know, in terms of some uh, grab of real estate, you know, some uh, movement of the Russian military showing their strength, but not extending it too far and trying to to digest something that that you're really going to have a problem with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Well, it does. You know, if you you know to me, you know, but you know, the only one that matters is the the shirtless <laughs> sturgeon fisherman that. There is go. Mr. Putin himself. Uh, but, you know, if you think about, you know, say that is a Ukraine is a big place and 130,000 or even 200,000 
isn't very many. That's like twice the number of people you would have in, uh, say, at a University of Michigan football game. And say you took all of those and said, okay, guys, go keep uh, keep order, you know, go occupy and keep order in Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. And, uh, and that, again, and just so everybody knows, right, it's, the task is you have to secure the MSRs that you will supply yourself from. And that is no light matter because if you do not secure them, you will be ambushed by a much more formidable fighting force than the one we faced in Iraq, in my opinion, right? And and, and so I guess we will see. But so the tasks, right, now you've got to control the population centers too. And, and I will tell you what, urban landscape eats military formations like nothing, right? Like nothing. And so when you talk about 100,000 in an, in an area the size of Ukraine, at, the problem gets very big. I mean, you, again, you can see the tanks moving. And it's great video footage. Okay, but after we digest that and we say, okay, now what? Oh, yeah, this tank, this tank platoon just got destroyed. This bridge just got blown with this commander on it. This just happened. This just happened. And pretty soon, you know, you're up to your eyeballs in, in bad stuff. And the only way you can make it better is to escalate the event, which then takes you down that road that they went down in Afghanistan, that the United States has gone down. And do you really want to do that? And so that's why I think that, I mean, it's, that's, a, that's, not a, that's a huge consideration for him. And once you begin to do the lay down, the force lay down inside of Ukraine, um, it becomes a, a huge problem, I think. Yeah, it's, you know, and the Russians, I think, would be constrained, uh, you know, partly because of what, you know, videos and iPhones, that uh, they would not be able to act the way they did in Chechnya, where just, you know, they were slaughtering people, and nor could they act quite the way they did in Afghanistan. Uh, so it's, it, you can't quite do the same thing to uh, the Ukrainians, and it, there's a point at which the Russians can't get away with it, whereas the, they could, of course, in Grozny or uh, you know other places they've been. So that would make things much more difficult, uh, I think, for them. You know, they the there's a difference. You know, how the Westerners we can you know we can accept sort of um, you know non-Westerners getting slaughtered, and we tut tut. You know, or that's what the the chattering class does. Oh, it's and there's a sense of well, it's just you know, these non-white people, for want of a better word. And we just sort of, but you start doing it to people who look like, you know, look white, and it becomes a different thing. Uh, is And I think that is part of the equation, that if they do start, you know, acting the way they, they say they have in other conflicts in recent times, uh, that it's going to cause some effects that I think the Russians haven't quite, I hope they've calculated those. Uh, when they make their decisions, but you know that's um, and I think we'll find find out pretty quickly here. All right, um, the Olympics kicked off. So before we talk about your article, uh, the Olympics kicked off. Uh, Vladimir Putin went there. Um, obviously, uh, I, I I can't even say with a straight face, you know, striking a a solidarity pose with the chairman of uh, the Chinese Communist Party, 
um, President Xi. Um, what do we make of all this, Grant? Oh, goodness, I think they split up the world uh, at that meeting. Uh, that should be, you know, putting it glibly. Uh, you know, I, somehow I think they've reached an accommodation that each will do what they feel like in their area, and they'll provide each other support up to a point, uh, an unstated point. But, the, uh, yeah, that's, you know, some have seen it as Putin going to kowtow to the Chinese um, or just they're just going to, you know, do something that they got invited invited to a party. So Putin showed up and, you know, said hello and that's that. But I, I think that, you know, that's a bad feeling that they have uh, have sort of, you know, reached some sort of an understanding that each will make their move when the time is right in their own areas. Wow. Yeah, it could you know, could could be wrong as well, but the uh, it's just a feeling that I'm getting, and I think you know part of it is that these guys smell blood, you know they smell weakness, and you know I wish it wasn't true, right? Uh, but if I was them, I'm afraid I would have the same same reaction, uh, unfortunately. And, so it's and just, that is just that is the lesson of history, and that is that weakness begets conflict. Yeah, you, you know, you, you tell that school bully, well, you know, you don't really want to do this because it's, uh, you know, it's not going to be good for you and et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't make sense for you to do this. And all he's thinking is, man, I can get away with this. And how much is your, you, how much do you have with you? I'm going to take it all in and stuff your head into the toilet. Yeah, how, many, uh, that, how many divisions does the Pope have, I think is a famous question, right? Yeah. Are you worried? Uh, are you worried about the reaction of the Pope? And then Stal- supposedly Stalin said, "How many divisions does the Pope have?" And the answer is, "He has no strength." I don't well, care. I don't. I don't, I, I don't care what he says. Well, the Pete Saint Peter and the Archangel, Angel. I think they would have quite a few, but they're not always so readily apparent. Exactly. But, they're, yeah. they're not around all the time when you need them. Yeah, they seem to be somewhere else. Sure. But that, so that's, uh, you know, I'm not, as I say, that is just a feeling that I have and right. uh, that they haven't seen anything from the American side that suggests that there will be hell to pay if they, they do something. And, you know, you, you listen to the interviews of, as I said, the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, and they, you know, they just don't, to me, they don't come across well. Uh, and, you know, that's, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, maybe others are, you know, quaking in their boots at the sight of them or the sound of their, you know, lovingly crafted arguments, but uh, not me. And, you know, when they ask, you know, the interviews ask, well, like, what are you going to, you know, say Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor says, well, you know, we think the Russians are going to attack. They could any moment. Right. You know, you never hear him say, well, this is what we're going to do. And this is, you know, if it happens, you know, there's going to be trouble. And it, that's the thing that's missing. You know, I could, you know, I could, you know, well, we've just laid out what just might happen. And uh, anybody could do that. But, okay, what are you going to do? And that is what seems to be in short supply uh, from the U.S. administration. And that is a dangerous uh, situation uh, to my way of thinking. Got it. All right, so you think at the Olympics, they, they've had, a, and then probably prior to, they met 
They 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 met previous to this. Where when when did they see each other? Oh goodness! Am I recalling I've, that wrong? I think you've got it right. It um, I don't remember not, when. Not or too where. long ago, right? I mean, it yeah, was not too long ago that they met. Uh-huh. Um, so they've carved up the world. Well, that's something straight out of a James Bond, Doctor Evil, and President G carving up the world. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about your article. I I uh, I gave Grant a fair bit of heat yesterday because um, he's been promising us he his predictions, and uh, he sent me some. Uh, so <laughs> so we may we may get to those. We may not. Um, so take us through uh, your piece, and everybody will find the link uh, to this piece uh, here in the in in the body of the podcast. So you can click on that, and you can read the entire thing. But um, will they invade in twenty twenty two, Grant? No, um, with one exception. But uh, no, the, yes, I was have been so humiliated by not uh, being able to finish a larger piece, so I stuck with the the easy question which is that one of uh, what are the Chinese going to do towards Taiwan in 2022? And because some people say it's going to be right after the Olympics or short, you know, a few months after that, and, et cetera. You know, those could, that could be right. But I don't, I don't see it that way, um, actually. And what's, so what I said is I don't think the, uh, the, the Chinese are going to uh, launch an all-out assault on Taiwan in uh, in 2022. Uh, I th- and I think that they're instead, I think they're going to go with something smaller uh, that, you know, that um, intimidates Taiwan, that humiliates the Americans, that points out that the Americans really aren't able to do much in response. Uh, and that will be enough for them. And what would that be? It could be something like seizing or interdicting uh, transport to and from one of these small uh, Taiwanese islands uh, that, you know, that there's a couple, a few just offshore the Chinese mainland. Uh, there's one uh, set called the Pratas, which is down near Hong Kong. And all of those, you could easily, as I say, blockade them or just uh, to interfere with air, with planes and ships going there for resupply. Or, or you could even, if you wanted, land troops there and sort of push off the Taiwanese defenders. Uh, and what you would, uh, the way that argument would go is that this, this is not enough to get the Americans to, to fight and that there would be a constituency in the United States, particularly in the financial class, uh, the business class, and the, the political world that says, and the academics, of course, right. saying right. Like, like some hallelujah chorus saying, don't it. Don't provoke the Chinese. We can't go to war with a nuclear armed power. And they will say that as sure as you know, the sun's coming up uh, tomorrow. Well, you, you just had the Speaker of the House admonish um, American athletes and tell them to behave themselves while they're, while they're in China, right? Yeah, it, it would, so it would be an extension of that whole, oh, we don't want to anger them. I mean, God forbid mm-hmm. that God forbid that we would... Um, and how about the little sleight of hand with having supposedly somebody who's a Uyghur help light the Olympic torch? How, oh, yeah. How about uh-huh. that little piece of artwork, Grant? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, uh, <laughs> you know, it'll work. But uh, it's but they are, you know, I think they are looking more ridiculous than I think they thought they would look. 
Um, but so you will have, so if the Chinese sort of pull their punches a bit and wait a bit and you're just, they just do something that it just has to humiliate, uh, demonstrate American impotence. And also that the, the China is the dominant military power in the region. Think of the effect that will have on the Taiwanese, will have on other uh, Asia Pacific nations, uh, but not enough to get the Americans to attack. That's what I would predict for, for 2022. And hey, there, can, I, can I link the two discussions between Ukraine and, uh, and, uh, and Taiwan? I mean, so the saber rattling that you're talking about and extending our dominance into this regional sphere and doing enough to demonstrate to the people of Taiwan that we do mean business. And then um, somehow are they hoping to enter into some sort of political discussion? Because what we want is a more, the first step would be we want a more friendly regime than what we're seeing there today. So is that a longer term, um, a longer term strategy that kind of falls in line with what you're talking about so that it obviates the necessity to ever do this militarily, which we certainly don't want to do if we don't have, if we don't well, want to have to, because well, again, would, because we are much more integrated into the world's economy than the Russians are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you do these things, and you if you the Americans don't respond well enough or strongly enough. If you're Taiwan, you start to think, why even bother? You know, what's the best deal we can cut? And it may not happen overnight, but gradually it, it sort of has a corrosive effect on Taiwan's uh, will to resist uh, the mainland. Uh, and th- there's another aspect of, to all of this that I would see as a reason for China not to um, attack in 2022. And when I say attack, I mean the, the full-scale assault right. designed to bring down right. uh, the Taiwanese government and to dominate and or occupy uh, Taiwan, uh, that I think that the reason is because Chinese political warfare is working so well everywhere else. Right. And if you go to just about any country in Asia, go to any island in the Pacific, and Chinese influence uh, is increasing. It's, they're getting their claws more deeply into all of these places, commercial claws, economic claws, political, and you know, buying off support and developing support by being seen as the country that is there offering, you know, investments, you know, offering um, to build houses for speakers of parliament, offering to send their children to, you know, for scholarships to universities in, in China, etc. that this, this political warfare is, it's eroding what I would say has traditionally been America's sort of defense base uh, in the Pacific and in Asia. And, but you see this in just about every, every country. Uh, and if the Australians have an election this year, well, they are. And if the Labour Party wins, while they talk a good game towards China, I think that they would be a lot more friendly to the Chinese than the current uh, conservative government in Australia is. And then you stretch it back even farther and you have the Chinese have um, seen a number of pro-China uh, leftist governments elected in Latin America, uh, in um Central America up into the Caribbean, and they're say digging their claws in. You know, you had Barbados up in the Caribbean. Um, you got um, you know, Ecuador. You have Chile, uh, Argentina as well. In fact, Argentina's president just said the other day to, to Putin, "Well, like sort of a 
come on down. Uh, we'd like to see you. And so you're, you're getting, so what you're doing is you're uh, improving your position all over the map. And let, I would be inclined, if I was them, to let this ride, sort of like marinating a steak. You know, you, you let it sit and tenderize or whatever it is that you put it in. That the longer it, it waits, the softer it gets. And that's kind of what the Chinese are doing. And so I think that's going to slow them down uh, by at least in 2022. After 2023, or, or from 2023 onward, if nothing changes, uh, I think they're going to go uh, all out uh, at you some do. point. And you would say I, that's I 20, if nothing changes in 2022, you think that they in 2023 there's a window that they would go? Yeah, I think it is um, that they i think it would be a sort of few year window and why i say that is i think the americans are kind of getting their acts together kind of, kind of. Uh, although you know and in ten, terms of getting the right weaponry and systems uh, under development and potentially deployed by them that would make it uh well, you know to the point you could like sink every ship the chinese put in the water or something like that uh, but it's not there yet and so I think that, say, from 2023 onward, that I think the the, the temptation to move is going to be uh, maybe overwhelming for uh, the Chinese towards Taiwan. Uh, just my sense. And once would ask, well, what if the Republicans win yeah. in the 2022 elections? Won't Which that certainly seems, you know, it, historically, it is the way it goes, right? The, yeah. the, the pendulum swings back in the midterms and uh, maybe more so this year, maybe not. So um, what effect do you think that would have? Um, actually, you know, I, th- I think that the, that would maybe even encourage the, uh, the it, I don't think it would slow down the Chinese or their calculations. And part of the re- one of the reasons for that is that, say, the Republicans win. Yeah. But the Democrats still have the, pre- the presidency, the White House, for two years, that it, it just kind of creates a stalemate. And... That's uh, rather than, you know, suddenly the new guys are in town, they're going to be able to really fix fix our defenses and set, you know, set it up so the Chinese dare not move. But I don't know that they could would be able to achieve very much. I think it often perhaps leads to a stalemate. Uh, But and then looking looking ahead, if they say a Republican wins as president, that that's very different. But that would be 2024. And it would take the new administration some time to get its feet on the ground. So if you look at 2023, 2024, that maybe those two years and a half are the that window of opportunity for the that the Chinese just might see. Uh, so that would be one way to look at it. And the one exception to the 2022, I said, is um, if you know, is suppose the Americans see. This and, is how you know you've really matured as a. Um as an expert, because an expert never, ever, ever closes the door on his expertise, right? He, he or she will always have a caveat or two. So, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. well done. It, it, I'm, I'm impressed with your with yeah, your yeah. your maturity as an expert. Well, well, I'm just sort of thinking like uh, like a thug, <laughs> and uh, you know, like oh, how can I uh, get what I want? No, you're becoming yeah. like the the ultimate talking head. Well, but, you know, this eight is bucks an hour. This you know, is exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It, um, no, but why I say this is that, you know, it, you know, because the other side, they are just as thoughtful as, 
as we are, and probably in some respects more so. Uh, and the, if you, what I was getting at is, suppose you have 2022 elections, and suppose they don't go the way, say, the, the leftist side of America, the American political spectrum likes it, and suppose the rioting mobs go out in the streets like they did about oh. a year and a half ago. Yeah. And suppose you have that kind of turmoil in the streets. At that point, if I was the Chinese man, I would be sorely tempted. Well, but again, let me ask you this. Such a distraction. At that point, haven't you already won? And if you look at your – and I don't want to shit on your marinating steak thing, but let me <laughs> make this a more like Chinese thing. The boa constrictor, right, is around Latin America. It's around islands in the Pacific. And our real intent is continue to pull down the Americans' pants and to, to show them as the, weak, as the weak thing that they are. And so between their internal division, right, and their weaknesses, again, and you, I'll, I'll tee this up for you, but we sent a destroyer down to, to help, you know, Tonga, right? And so America <laughs> continues to shrink in the, in the Pacific. And yeah, they look like this pivot towards the Pacific. Uh, they may be getting out of the stumbling phase, but not that far out. Um, but we are winning in all these other areas, we believe. And um, why, if we're, I think that is very ominous for the Taiwanese. For the Filipinos, for the Vietnamese, who look west and say, can we count on them? You know, China ascending, we see more and more naval dominance in the region. America seems to be confused and shrinking. At that point, would I even need to launch an attack? Would my diplomatic overtures and my not-so-patient, persistent presence, wouldn't that force... Um, how would you characterize um, pro-China advocates in Taiwan, which there are, in the Philippines and in Vietnam, uh, many of them motivated by their own financial interests that will certainly, be, will certainly benefit? Wouldn't that tip the scale in their favors politically? And then, hypothetically, you wouldn't even have to shoot a round. You would have well, won. Could. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's possible. You know, if you were to just... Did you like my, bo- it- my boa constrictor? Um, no, I'm still stuck with the uh, marinating steak. Are you steak, hungry? Right? Are you, you didn't have lunch, did you? I can Not tell. yet. But, uh, <laughs> no, but, uh, no, the boa thing works, you know, it, or multiple boa constrictors. Right. Uh, you know, out there just strangling the, you know, the, the Yankees and, um, or these, you know, these nations that China's interested in, which is all of them. Uh, you know, it could be, you know, that they just decide to let it play out and keep going because they like what they see. They may see that, well, even the Republicans wouldn't be able to govern effectively. Uh, and, you know, so that, that is possible. Sometimes, you know, these regimes, they just can't help themselves. And, you know, the Chinese capacity for shooting itself in the foot uh, is unlimited. You know, they just, Grant, okay, look, I just lauded you as an expert. And one of your signature lines that I love, right? They can't help themselves. What is the signature line? They're like a dog licking themselves. That's 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 mm-hmm. that's great theater, and and you just glossed right over it. You just missed the well, opportunity. Well, I should have, but I would have used "fat man at the buffet." Or, 
<laughs> or anyone. But they, they, yeah, but the dog licking himself, you know, he just can't help it. You know, or the cat turns around before he goes, you know, how they do a circle before yes, they lie always, down. They, always. They can't help it. And uh, so th- that's, you know, well, it so th- that's something to keep in mind that they uh, just might feel like, look, we if we make our move now, we can get it over with. And but we're going to have to sort of we're going to have to actually go into Taiwan. These people, these people just are not going to give up. Uh, you know, that could be. But also, I would note that the the Americans aren't dead yet. And they we still got, you know, pretty su- substantial uh, power. Uh, but and, you know, that so it's not quite sure how that is going to play out, though, uh, in the next you know, few years or, or beyond. Uh, so that you know, you know, could be. It's it's hard to you know. There's a few options, but I think it nonetheless it is a, a very perilous time uh, that we're in, both this year, next year, and the year after. And a lot of what happens in the United States will determine what uh, it will determine what the Chinese do or don't do. Uh, so there's your, so you've carved out your caveat. And so you've you've completed the thing. Yeah, I I think that you see all those forces, and and uh, I mean I, I would think that the Chinese uh, can be planned beyond a two year election cycle. And I, th- I I mean, how would they characterize? You know, the United States has certainly woken up to to us as a military threat in the region. They're attempting to pivot to us, but it doesn't seem like it's going to take them. They're talking about twenty thirty. Maybe the Navy's talking about 2035, 2040. I mean, we certainly have a window, and if we continue to make the progress that we've made, we won't have to fire a shot. We will We will win, right, through intimidation. We will continue to expand our economy, and this will all ultimately go our way. Yeah, and, you know, you, we can, we've talked about it all the time, is, and you really can't overstate the importance of it, is the sort of the support Wall Street and America's business class give the Chinese Communist Party. It is the, they're the ones who are to, to thank uh, really for China developing its economy and its military uh, the way it has. And they show no signs of letting up. And that is it's part of the equation that doesn't get uh, addressed enough. You know, there's Senate hearings, congressional hearings on you know, the state of the U.S. Navy and, you know, or the state of the Chinese Navy or the military balance. But very few, little attention goes to the, the financial inflows from the United States into the People's Republic of China uh, every year. And, you know, it's at least several hundred billion dollars. And this effectively underwrites a regime which otherwise would be in serious trouble. Uh, and say it doesn't get anywhere near the attention it deserves. But for the, from a Chinese perspective, this is a uh, force multiplier. It's the, the thing that really gives them a huge, huge advantage uh, that and I don't know you. I suppose there's been other cases in history. I don't know of them uh, where a nation like, you know, the, that is under sea under threat from a, a from a really a, an enemy that hates them and wants to kill them uh, keeps you know, providing them the economic wherewithal to uh, to do what they want to do, which is kill us. And it, well, I don't know. Would the, would the, was the American Revolution? I mean, was our was our development funded by England, which ultimately proved to be their demise here on the 
Well, no, I think it was – no, I, don't, I think it would be very different. It, well, I see your, the point, but I think it's different. Um, you know, once the – you know, once the, the animosity reached a certain point, uh, the British were not funneling money to the Continental Congress. Got it. And in fact, quite the opposite. You know, the, the, how they, you know, George Washington was fretting that he couldn't pay his troops. Uh, and or what if he did pay him, it was in money nobody wanted. And that was a huge problem for the, uh, the patriots. Uh, throughout the war. So I think this is very different. This would be today's situation would be like the, the British, you know, the perfidious British, you know, just uh, sending gold, you know, trunks of gold uh, to where Philly or wherever the, the, you know, wherever the Americans had their seat of government, it seemed to move a few times. Uh, and that's sort of the equivalent of it. And, you know, British traders just, um, you know, setting up into businesses in, you know, patriot-held territory. Uh, they, that's how crazy this this whole thing is. Mm -hmm. And but you can see, if you're from China's perspective, you, you're loving it. it uh, and it, it doesn't get any better than this. So say so this doesn't this you know you know aspect of the the equation doesn't get anywhere near the attention it deserves, uh, except on all marine radio. So. Well, there you go. That's why you listen. If you want true. Right, intellectual discourse that's 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 hidden in terms like dogs licking themselves. You all know where to come from. The um, and we've been doing it for a while because we've had these conversations, and and I know how much appreciate that people appreciate it because when I'm uh, when I'm out traveling and speaking, Grant, and I don't, I mean, like last week I was traveling and I, I we couldn't record. Oh, they start bitching. You wouldn't believe it. Where's Grant? I'm like, all right, do you want me to say it? Right? You want me to say shut the fuck up? Is that what you want? Right? I mean, come on. But uh, no, they I, honestly, they be, I think uh, the people that have listened to you and, and learned so much from you, and I, and I being one, I mean, I, I've learned so much about the the, the Pacific Rim and, and, and China and North Korea. Um uh, and uh, I mean South Korea. Uh, so you, you know, you, I think you've taught us taught us all a ton about uh, President Moon and uh, the whole Chinese or the whole Japanese uh, South Korean thing, and how detrimental that is uh, at times in the Pacific. And so, uh, so no, I mean, I, I and I, I honestly, I find it fascinating. And, and again, let me let me tip um, again, once again the whole thing with Tonga. <laughs> what what do you make what do you make of the american absence of that is did tonga not request it um, cuz the australians sent an amphib and you said what it broke down <laughs> it broke down when it got there yeah it, it also the tongans think it also brought covid with it nice. uh, because it you know there was an outbreak on the australian amphib so uh, you know perceptions count and that's what the tongans think it you know, may have come via China, like all of COVID, but they think it was the Australians showed up with their COVID ship. Uh, what we're talking about is the uh, the Australians after the earthquake tsunami in Tonga around July, June, January 14th. Uh, the uh, Australians got right to work and uh, sent some aircraft, but they also put uh, sent one of their new amphibious ships over with loaded with supplies and some helicopters on deck and. Uh, got right, right. It got over there pretty quickly and did it, you know, the way you're supposed to. 
Um, but they, the, the ship broke down, apparently, once it got to Tonga and was without power for at least four days. Um, although they said, oh, no, no problem at all. Uh, that's, the, you know, what the Australians said, you know, we could still launch, you know, our so small boats and helicopters as well. Uh, but there's, you know, there's a little embarrassing when your ship comes and, you know, suddenly becomes a floating barge. Uh, and that wasn't a good thing to see. And I say there was the, the virus out, outbreak on the ship uh, and the Tongans are worried about that. So but more to the in a broader point, you know, we talk about this Chinese influence efforts in uh, in the Pacific. This Tonga is just a, it's a case in point of how they, they've gone about it is that the Tongans, um, or excuse me, after the, the incident happened, uh, you know, the Australi- Australians, you know, moved, moved along smartly, and the New Zealanders did too. And the Americans did next to nothing. Uh, they, I think USAID announced they would contribute 100,000 uh, bucks. But they were, Americans were just being, <laughs> you know, I'm not what? making this up. Come but, on. Uh, and, you know, well, they, they issued a press release at some point, and if you read it, Oh, it sounds like they did all sorts of these little things. And but if you've got to issue a, an internet press release to show you were successful, you probably weren't. But the Americans didn't really respond to any of this. You heard almost nothing from them. But why and, did we want to let our, our regional partners take a lead? Because let me just tell you, the strongest, most vocal nation in the Pacific right now is Australia. The Australians call out the Chinese. They've, they've, what, what is the international court they want to go to to argue against China's um, – um, it's been in the news the last month. But the Australians said, yeah, we want to be a part of that. Um, oh, uh, I wish I could remember what it was. But the Australians are the ones, right, you know, with their, their, sub, their submarine deal, right? They're taking a much stronger hand – uh, in the Pacific, and and I, I I I I'm just searching for a rational reason why. Again, I served with, I think they were Tongan Marines in Iraq in 2004, and what I remember, Grant, is um, when General Mattis's change of command was the was the next morning, so he would he was going to leave Blue Diamond, and in, in, which is in the middle of Ramadi, and General Natonsky was going to take over. And the Tongan, I think they were Marines, but anyway, the Tongan uh, service members wanted to sing for him. They had a choir. And Tonga is, is a, a Christian nation, yes? Oh, very much. Very much, right? So, so um, and I was General Mattis' staff sec at the time, so I had a, a little bit of hand in helping to schedule this and, and facilitate it and whatnot. And I was kind of curious, so what's the Tongan choir going to sound like? And I have to tell you that it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And if you can imagine, uh, Ramadi in 2004 was Thunderdome. I mean, it was a city, uh-huh. of, it was a city of death. And, and so I want to say it was about 1900. There was an Ops Intel brief at 1700. And at 1900, the, the Tongan choir assembled outside of one of the entrances into uh, the 1st Marine Division Combat Operations Center. And it was this one of Saddam's old palaces. And so they had assembled out there. General Mattis comes out, um, and they sang. 
And it was absolutely beautiful. And I remember standing there, and you're on the, the banks of the biblical Euphrates River, right? Uh, in the middle of this, this, this war that's, that's going on around you. And you hear these beautiful voices. And it was important to them that they sang for General Mattis before they left. And so that is Tonga's commitment to the United States. And now you're watching this. And so, exactly. And so yeah. you're looking for, yeah. what, what explains it, Grant? Oh, I don't know. Well, I do have some ideas. So you should also, you know, try to uh, find on the internet a recording of the Rhodesian African rifles singing Sweet Banana. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, you listen to it and you'll see that I'm not, it's a funny name, but it's pretty good. Right. Uh, if they had been there, they would have sung for whomever. But uh, what's going on, I think, is the Americans, it's not like people say at PACOM don't understand uh, that if you go and make a, an effort to assist somebody who's just gotten whacked by a tsunami and an earthquake and a well, volcano, and uh, that you, they appreciate it, you know, you, you, but you got to be there. You know, you can't just say, well, it is more efficient for me to rely on the Australians and the New Zealanders and the French, but we're, we're sending our thoughts and prayers. Uh, you know, you've got to go down and make the effort. And people remember that, you know, forever. And they, we didn't do it. And what we did eventually is the Americans sent a DDG, like a destroyer. So if the idea is that we're going to, um, you know, sink all the uh, other ships around, well, that's just the ship for it. But, you know, an amphib, you know, you know what amphibs bring, and they're perfect for this sort of relief effort. And even if you send too much stuff, you, uh, you know, the... the the goodwill that it builds for a good long while uh, really matters, and we haven't done it. And unfortunately, I think that I think a U.S. Coast Guard uh, ship has come as well. But once again, this is like offering to help your friend. Say your friend needs to move house, and you show up with uh, in your Corvette instead of with your Econo Line van. Uh, that you know this is not really well thought out, and they. Now, here's the, the other thing is that before this happened, the Chinese have really got you know, dug into Tonga very deeply. I think Tonga owes them like $158 million in debt, and it's a small place. It's only 100,000 people, so you can do the math and see how much everybody owes them. Uh, and had also been doing other things like offering to build houses for everybody in the, you know, in the society and paying bribes as well as they usually do to buy off their their people in the in Tonga, and so they have really gotten have influenced uh, this place, and you know it. And the Americans needed to do something to address this, and I think that if we had made an effort and they sent an amphib down or and gotten our airport, you know the uh, our air you know transport aircraft, you know making a making an appearance, sending stuff, and then making sure everybody knows that we're there, it's what we're doing, and we're doing it because these are our friends, that the, the sort of the pro-American Tonga uh, sort of people would have been delighted to see this. Word would have gotten out amongst the public. The Americans have come. Uh, and the Chinese, in one little anecdote, one, well, they've sent an amphib of their own. It's like one of our LPDs. And it could have arrived by now. I think it left China on January 24th or so. They sent one of those, but they were also sending uh, ships, or excuse me, uh, aircraft uh, right from the beginning. Uh, they got in on it very quickly, and they've done, you know, some, you know, they've been very active in the relief effort. 
and also one of the things is that, that happened was there was a Chinese fishing boat down uh, at Tonga when the volcano went out and the tsunami hit. And the fishing boat, you know, immediately went ashore and it, you know, went to a sign maker and they had, they put out this sign, you know, they had them build a sign saying, you know, China is bringing aid to Tonga and that the fishing boat, you know, had some supplies that they handed over and they got, you know, credit for doing that. And you, you see, and it, and you, so what you're part of that, it shows you how the fishing fleet operates uh, for the, with the Chinese government and for the mutual, uh, you know, to, uh, the fishing fleet is seen as an arm of the Chinese government. So they got that sort of um, benefit. And there is a China, an, the Chinese embassy in Tonga. There's no American embassy, as we've mentioned before. It's covered by Fiji. But, you know, if you're not there, you're you're not really interested. Um, but one of the, the things about all of this that uh, that is worth noting is that about a year and a half ago, uh, the Tongans quietly approached the Americans, the Marines in particular, and asked them if they would build an HADR training facility on one of their islands. And it was very initial sort of inquiry made to sound out the Americans. And the American response was not interested. And what would it cost? You know, you could have sent down a good captain with a small team or, and, you know, got this thing going. And you would have been there. You would have, you know, you've had some sort of concrete presence uh, that would have allowed the Americans to influence right. uh, here. And yet we could get more than anything else with the dollars involved. And I'll just read you some headlines. I just, I just, I just did a search, a news search, uh, USA to, to Tonga, right? So these are the headlines. USAID announces additional 2.5 million, million in humanitarian assistance in response to volcanic eruptions and and tsunami in Tonga. Um, next headline. Uh, USS Samson delivers aid assistance to Tonga after volcano tsunami. That's the DDG that Grant was talking about. Next headline from Stars and Stripes. USAID worth $100,000, right? I just read there was a smash and grab of a high-end watch store in Chicago that got $50,000 worth of watches. So aid worth twice as much that was stolen out of a watch, you know, uh, store in Chicago in the latest smash and grab there, right? That is the gift from the American people to the people of Tonga, right? Heads to, heads to Tonga following volcanic eruption, right? And so you read these headlines and you're just going, this is a contested part of the planet where we're fighting for a strategic presence and any... And any good news out there is good news, and you just don't see it. And I, I just don't, like I said, to me, the great head scratcher in, in Donald Trump presidency and now in, uh, in Joe Biden's presidency is the lack of aggressive overtures. And this would be in, in, in that realm in terms of the economic deals that lead to diplomatic exchanges, that lead to military exchanges that keep these nations in the orbit of the United States. And I just, like I keep asking you, Grant, can you explain it to me? What are the footnotes that make it make sense? And there doesn't seem to be any other than the United States just doesn't seem to care. Oh, it's laziness, lack of imagination, uh, what have you. The, um, one of the, you know, the, 
sort of an example of how the Americans, you know, we, we keep getting opportunities far beyond what we should. Right. Um, you know, with all of the, you know, the, the Chinese aid that they've sent, uh, that they um, recent, just like today, I heard that they, they'd also sent some like, canned pork, a lot of it, to uh, Tonga. And it turns out that there's swine, what, swine fever in the pork, you they think. you kidding me. So they've had to recall it all you know, opened or unopened, you know, please bring it back. Because pigs in the Tongan society are practically currency. And, you know, you you've, for, you give them as gifts and it's required. And say they and you, when you get, need to eat them, you eat them. And, you know, so the, the danger to the swan, to the pig population uh, of uh, Tonga is immense. And that is something the locals don't like. So the Chinese, for all their effort, they've kind of, uh, screwed it up a bit, and but now you ask, well, what is the where are the this clever American uh, political warfare guys who are going to take care of this? You know, send our veterinarians down. You know, send them like healthy pig, you know, canned pork. Uh, who's going to take care of that? And I'm pretty sure nobody's giving it any thought uh, at all. So you know, say the Tonga is an example. What what I see is a larger. A larger problem uh, from on the American, you know, the American side is we, you know, we don't do the political or economic warfare stuff. But you see, we do the, you know, the, the high end, you know, kinetic operations. That's our thing. And yeah, just, we, and we do that very poorly because every time we unleash well, it, it, it doesn't further our strategic ends. Well, it's the expression. Well, you know, and what I'm getting at is, for about the last month or so, the U.S. Navy and the Marines, and I think the Japanese have been in on it a bit, and the Australians as well, and maybe once the, the British and the Dutch, I think, were also for one of them, have been doing some serious, say, uh, high-end exercises in the Philippine Sea and off of Okinawa, and even in the South China Sea, uh, you know, to you know, I guess to send a message uh, to the Chinese, and you know, meanwhile the, the Chinese are running wild in in the rear in all of these Pacific islands, uh, winning, you know, making friends and influencing people, other than the, the spoiled pork. Uh, and but here we are, say, flexing our muscles, and while our the base is being eroded, and that is you know, somebody isn't doing the job, you know, and I. With political warfare, I think if you ask every, anybody on the U.S. side, they'll all say, oh, somebody else does that. We don't do that. And as a result, nobody does it. And we are, are ceding the field to the, uh, you know, to the Chinese or, or we're leaving it up to the Australian. We think we're leaving it up to the Australians and the New Zealanders. Which, which Grant, I would say, which is fine if that is part of a deliberate plan, but it doesn't seem to be that way because you would expect somebody with Indo-PACOM sitting at a table with our Australian allies and, you know, to sit there and say, we want to, we, today we came here to talk to you about a coordinated response to the events in Tonga. All right, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lead the brief off with, you know, Admiral so-and-so is going to talk about the movement for the DDG, why it's going down there, its water capabilities, right? That's what we were requested to provide that in conjunction with our Australian partners. They're going to talk about this. You know, the Air Force is on standby. We have generators and 7 billion tons of water that we're about to move, right, as we attempt to support, you know, Tonga, which has been a great part of, you know, different American 
you know, military and diplomatic overtures over the course and is a great ally. I mean, you would expect to see that, right? Nothing. You'd, you'd at I, least expect to see it, yeah. you know, hear it or written somewhere. And I suspect they did talk. You know, wouldn't I would be amazed if they didn't. But I would suggest that you can't outsource this sort of work. You have got to be there and with the right stuff. And I say you cannot outsource it. And I think that's a, a huge mistake to to do that. And you, you, so while we're say, flexing our muscles in this, you know, with a dual ARGs in the Philippine Sea, where we apparently couldn't afford to send one LPD, it's the Chinese who are down there. It's other people who are there. It's you know, people don't even notice the Americans, and that is, I think, that is a huge mistake. I would note that the Japanese got in on the effort right from the beginning and sent transport aircraft down to Australia and then over to Tonga. And they've also launched, uh, like 10 days ago, I think, one of their amphibious ships uh, with Japanese Army helicopters aboard uh, down to Tonga as well. So it was the Japanese sent their amphibious, uh, sent an amphibious uh, ship down there. But the, the Americans, you know, for whatever reason, it's as if we've got, we have more important things to do. But it takes so little effort to show that you, you actually give two hoots, and that's kind of what people you know, would like to hear. Well, uh, again, I, I just for the life of me, I do not understand it. I, I wish somebody uh, who's at the top of the State Department or the Pentagon could say, oh, Mac, well, let us make sense of that for you. Let us make sense of this lack of economic <laughs> overtures to the Philippines, to Vietnam, to the the the, the nations that, that ring this strategically vital body of water. Right, because really, what we're developing—if we lose on all these other fronts—your little military event in the South China Sea will be completely irrelevant. And yeah. and again, I just don't—I do not see the seriousness of of, of 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 American national power in the region. And and we talked about the economic stuff. Now you're talking in about humanitarian aid after a disaster. H-A-D-R is what we call it, right? And you're not seeing that. And you just, its to me, it's head-scratching. I just i yeah. don't get it. You can't be serious about winning in this realm if you won't do these things. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it is the, the Tongans do have a Marine Corps. Um, that is what you, what you saw. It's a small right. thing. I think it's about 500 uh, guys. Uh, but it's an, old, it's an old one. And the Americans used to really value the, the relationship. You know, that you... Uh, you know, the years ago when I was at Marfor Pack, in fact, it was fact practically one of the only sort of uh, connections the Marines had in the Pacific was with the Tongan Marines. Uh, but and they will tell you, of course, oh, we value it, blah blah blah, as much as we ever have. Well, uh, you know, I maybe maybe not, but you know, I would do as I mentioned. They Tongans asked us to come a year and a half ago, and we uh, weren't interested. Uh, it wouldn't have taken much. And, you know, that's so, you know, it's where we are. So, Got it. All right. So um, when will you finish your predictions and when can I bring you on and roast you about them? I won't roast you. I will obviously be very respectful of it. Um, when will this happen? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. It, uh, well, I'll aim for maybe this week. I swear to God. <laughs> But uh, you know, yeah, yeah. you're doing the Lucy with the football thing with me, just so you know. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, yeah, not I'm, I'm, it's not lost yeah. on me that I've heard this before. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to. I'll get it. As, I'll get it quick. You know, it, uh, just but whatever it is, you know, it's um, the China thing. What China in 2022? That was relatively easy, but it took a little thought. Uh, but these uh, sort of a region-wide prediction. It uh, you, you have to takes a little effort, but also I have so many like ideas to write about that the. And it's like this uh, giant yeah. goulash that uh, you have things have to sort of solidify in the in uh, the noggin. So you, uh, so, as, as, as a writing artist, you're overwhelmed by the plethora of topics, and it takes a while for all this stuff to settle down. So what, you can look that? at it with a, with yeah. a clear eye and a clear mind. Is that what you're feeding me? It, it kind of yeah. It seems it sort of solidifies. You know, I'll have like all these like four different ideas running, sort of bubbling and and none of them related to each other but they're all intermixed and it kind of has to you know one you have to sort of sit down and do it and then once you do that but it's the maybe it's the sitting down and doing it that uh so i said being the laziest guy on the planet <laughs> you can always think of so oh yeah tomorrow that's gonna be the day that uh so i'll just i'll try to get it you know, as quickly as i can Got it. Got it. All right, Grant. Um, as always, thank you very much for your extended time uh, uh, tonight and uh, always appreciate the visit. And again, you know, the, you know, the issues that we're talking about, um, you know, your, your analysis of Russia v. Ukraine and, and also of, you know, China's window uh, relative to American p- politics, American military might, and then the lack of, you know, engagement in the Pacific, all, uh, all important ideas and topics and then i think uh i think that the the long pull in the tent though um is wall street support of china and you see people run from that topic uh so so mildly you see it rarely introduced um all these other things that we do on the periphery but wall street's relationship um with the chinese communist party Right. And the people that rule China uh, to include mighty American corporations like Meta slash Facebook um, who go there and and are just drooling over, you know, Chinese data and revenue and all of that. Um, They are the ones that are providing the economic fuel that makes this happen. And it's something that the United States does not want to confront. And uh, and then the the only question is, by the time the United States realizes it, will it be too late? And so, uh, you, thank you for making us smart on this stuff and 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 putting it in front of us on a regular basis. And uh, and uh, uh, I will talk to you next week. Okay, it sounds good. At, um, I, I promise I'll have that thing done by then. Swear yeah. to God. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Sure. Okay. Thanks a lot. Always enjoy it. All right. That is Grant Newsham. That'll do it on a Monday. My thanks to Grant for coming on. Always interesting chatting with him. 
uh, in the post that uh, that contains this podcast, you will hear Grant. Uh, you will see Grant's article, so you can find it there if you want to check it out. So feel free. So uh, I'm off to do post traumatic winning. I'm actually doing it as you listen to this. Yeah, because I can do shit like that. So, uh, by all means, have a great uh, have a great Monday. If I can help you help somebody, uh, do not hesitate. Um, I've had some experiences in the last two weeks that have been unbelievable, um, extremely humbling. As I've gotten phone calls from people that have said, in the midst of really terrible things, you're the first person I thought of. And, uh, you know, I lay in bed sometimes and pinch myself and think, like, Is this even real? Right? That um, you can go through really difficult things in life and somehow or other find a way to use those things to help other people. And uh, so for all of you that have gone through difficult things, I would tell you I'm living proof that you actually can go from a place of trauma to a place of joy. You can turn the things that have uh, challenged you and and been and been really difficult in your life. You can turn those into instruments that can help other people, and in helping them, you can transform those experiences and your life. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, it's uh, it's really humbling. But the best part of it is I know there's a place for them. I know there's a path for them. I know that they can do it. I know that path doesn't have any bullshit in it, right? They're not going to hear time heals all wounds because it doesn't. They're not going to hear there's a purpose in this because there isn't. They They will only hear... You can still live a great life. And there's a path for you to do that. And I can show you that path. And I can help you go to that place. I promise you. So, as I said, if I could help you help somebody, do not hesitate. Right? Do not hesitate. On that note, I'm uh, Michael Francis McNamara, a proud grandfather. For the second time, congratulations to my oldest son, John, and uh, his wife, Susie, mother for a second time. Congratulations, Susie, a good North Dakota girl. Um, So congratulations to the both of them and their beautiful little family. So... uh, Wonderful days in your life when 
whether they're your own children or your grandchildren. Um, and it's funny because Colleen and Catherine, you know, will look at the babies and they'll like go, aren't they so cute, Dad? And I'm like, yeah, they are, right, as they always are. I said, but you know what, to me, um, I don't know, touches me in a deeper way, is that I've seen four different versions of a little baby like that. Watching your children become parents and seeing the looks on their faces, I've never seen that. So, on that note, have a great day. I'll see you on Wednesday more than likely. If not, the Mensa Brothers will certainly be here on Friday. Have a great one. I'm out.